uh, to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you turn there in your pew Bibles with me, I'll be reading and we'll be focusing our attention tonight on verses 12 through 17. Uh, later, we'll be turning to Hebrews 9, but I'm going to hold off uh, on reading uh, portions of that passage uh, until we get to that part of the sermon. So, for our text tonight, it'll be mainly 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 17. Here, Paul instructs us about the purpose for Jesus coming to earth in the flesh uh, namely to save sinners by putting away their sin. This is God's holy word. Let's listen attentively as we are instructed by the Holy Spirit. Beginning at verse 12, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to end our reading of God's Word there uh, at this point tonight. Well, saints of God, throughout history, all kinds of people have misunderstood the mission of Jesus Christ, His purpose in coming to earth. This was true, of course, even of the Jews of Jesus' own day, wasn't it? The Jews of Jesus' day believed that the coming Savior, the coming Messiah of Israel would come as a political revolutionary who would come and ride into Jerusalem on a war horse, come to rescue His people from the oppressive Romans. That was their idea of what Jesus or the Messiah would come to be and to do. Over the last several centuries, uh, liberal theologians have simply pegged Jesus as a moral philosopher, if He even existed at all. Today, self-help, prosperity, preachers portray Jesus as a close friend, a, a cosmic buddy who will make you happy and healthy and wealthy and wise as long as you have enough faith. But all of these portrayals misunderstand, get it wrong, who Jesus is and what He came to earth to do, to accomplish. They miss the heart the essence of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to accomplish God's divine rescue mission that He had planned, that He had ordained from all eternity. They miss the essential point that Jesus came to save sinners by putting away their sin. 
But it's that reason for Christ's coming into the world that gives the Apostle Paul in our passage so much joy, so much gratitude. And he sets himself before us as a prime example of what the grace of God in Jesus Christ can accomplish in the sinner's life, no matter how great that sin is. We must see tonight that truly our souls can only be comforted, our souls can only be encouraged if the gospel that we have embraced is summed up in this this wonderful, trustworthy statement that Paul makes here. That Jesus came into this world to save the worst of sinners by putting away their sin. We're going to look very simply tonight at those two glorious points. That Jesus came for sinners and that He came secondly to put away sin. Well, back in verse 11 of chapter 1, Paul abounds in thanksgiving. He gives thanks to the Lord because the Lord had done something quite remarkable in his life. The Lord had graciously entrusted Paul, of all people, He entrusted Paul with the missionary task of proclaiming the gospel of the glory of the blessed God to the Gentiles mainly. And in our text tonight, verse 12, he he expands on this great gratitude that he has for this divine calling. He says in verse 12, I thank Him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. And as I read this, I can only imagine the extent to which Paul must have marveled, been amazed at the fact that that Christ was willing to appoint Him, of all people, a servant of the gospel. After all that He had done in His former life to defeat the gospel, to destroy the church. What Paul says here is is quite remarkable, you notice. He says, I give thanks because Christ judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. And here we might pause and, and ask, really, faithful, Paul? Boys and girls who are here tonight, I'm sure you've studied the life of Paul in Sunday school or maybe at home, and you know that Paul was not always Paul, was he? Before the Lord Jesus appeared to him on the the road to Damascus, he was Saul, and he was a very zealous Jew. Um, He was the, the number one persecutor of Christians in the Christian church. In fact, we read in in Acts 8 verse 3 that Paul was ravaging the church. He entered into house after house of Christians, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He saw to the murder of multiple Christians. In fact, the next chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 9, tells us that at the moment of his conversion, he was still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. His persecution of the church was not passive. He wasn't a light sinner. He wasn't a passive sinner. His sin was driven. It was calculated. He was a committed sinner. 
Paul himself, in verse 13 of our passage tonight, he describes the extent of his sin. He says, formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of God. Paul could hardly give us a stronger self-indictment of his own sin. And that's why here he marvels, he's amazed that God would count him faithful and call him into his service. The wonder of it all, the wonder of the gospel, is that before his heart had even turned from its wickedness, while it was still unbelieving, while he was still an insolent opponent of God, Christ called him as one who would be faithful, worthy of trust, worthy to proclaim the gospel to the lost. Christ's mercy reached into His unbelief. He reached into the darkness and death of His sin and graciously drew Him out into the light of His truth. The power of Jesus Christ alone transformed Him from a violent persecutor to a faithful preacher. And why was such mercy given to him, such a great sinner? Paul gives two answers here in our passage here in verse 13 and verse 16. First, he says in verse 13, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. What does he mean by that? You might be tempted to think that, that perhaps God was willing to excuse his sin because he was acting out of um, ignorance and didn't know any better. Well, that's not what the apostle is saying. He's certainly clear elsewhere in Romans 1 that what can be known about God is made plain to everyone, including the wicked. No one is with excuse uh, for disbelieving in God. So, Paul is not excusing his belief in any way. He's confessing, rather, that his zealous persecution of the church was the result of misplaced zeal, a failure to recognize the gospel, that Christ was the Messiah. Yes, his unbelief was born of ignorance, but he confesses here that he did not deserve God's mercy in any way. His salvation, his rescuing from, be, from sin could only be ascribed to the free grace and the mercy of God. But secondly, he gives another reason for this mercy shown to him, this time in verse 16. Here he says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. Paul essentially says to Timothy, do you need living proof that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for any sinner, even the worst of sinners? Do you need proof of that? Paul says, just take a look at me. Take a look at me. I'm the worst of sinners. I journeyed far and wide to, to capture the followers of Christ in order to imprison them, even put them to death. I was insolent. I was blasphemous. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But his hope is this, but by the grace of God, 
I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. Here in our passage, verse 14, Paul says, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ has been poured, he literally says, superabundantly, more abundantly than I can even possibly describe. God's grace has been poured into my life because God has chosen to make an example of me for you, for your benefit. God gave Paul the the gift of faith and a new attitude of love and a new relationship with Jesus Christ as evidence, as proof for all time of the most trustworthy statement that has ever been uttered in the history of the world, one that we must fully accept. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul says that's the gospel. That's the pure gospel. That's the truly good news that we embrace, that we celebrate as Christians. This is the essence of Jesus' mission in coming to earth. For he says himself in Luke 5, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What that means, brothers and sisters, tonight is this. If you think that you are a basically good church-going person, Christ did not come for you. He came to save sinners only. If you think of yourself as a person with only a few faults and shortcomings, just a few minor sins, Christ did not come for you. He came to save sinners only. If you're a person with too much dignity and self-worth to even acknowledge your sin or talk about yourself to others as a sinner, Christ did not come for you. He came for sinners only. The story is told of a minister who once sat by the bed of a dying man in a nursing home, and as they talked, the the man began to recall some of his former sins, and he started to weep. And he blurted out, I'm such a terrible, hell-worthy sinner. And to The man's surprise and confusion, the minister responded, that's wonderful. And to answer his confusion, the minister went on and explained, you are, you are a terrible hell-worthy sinner, but it's wonderful that you know that. It's wonderful that you acknowledge that because Christ came to earth for people exactly like you. You see, brothers and sisters, it's only when we are clearly aware of the depths of our sin and our need for Christ, who is the only true Savior between God and man, it's only when we know that and we can voice that reality to others that we could possibly have a knowledge and appreciation for the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so if you are confident in your own righteousness tonight, Be warned that Christ did not come to save such people. But on the other hand, 
If tonight you are worried that God cannot possibly shine the light of His grace into your life, if you are worried that your loved ones are beyond the pale of His grace and His mercy because of their sin or because of their broken past, take heart. Take heart tonight. If God in Christ can save the foremost of sinners, it gives Him no difficulty at all to save you or to save other sinners around you. Jesus says in Luke 19, that's the reason I came. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came for sinners. But we see secondly, and a bit more briefly, Jesus came to put away sin. He came to put away sin. We rejoice along with the Apostle Paul that Jesus Christ came into this world for sinners like you and like me. We rejoice in that. But what we must grasp, secondly, is that in order for Jesus to do that, in order for Him to, to fulfill God's divine rescue mission and save sinners from sin, He needed to put away the very thing that makes us sinners. He needed to put away our sin. You see, the reason Jesus came to earth was to fulfill this divine rescue mission of God. He came as a direct fulfillment of God's promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15 that He would come to defeat that ancient virus of sin that infects generation after generation of humankind by nature. He came to defeat Satan and sin and death. And until Jesus came, in the flesh. The answer to how sin would be destroyed could only be given in the types and the shadows of the Old Testament sacrifices. One of the primary themes of the letter to the Hebrews is the fact that the Old Testament priests offered ongoing, daily, repetitive labor. Their work never ended. In fact, Hebrews 7 reminds us that every morning and every evening of every day, burnt offerings had to be offered on the perpetual fire of the altar, first for the sins of the priests themselves. They couldn't do away with sin. They themselves were sinners. But then offerings were also offered for the sins of the people, and that's why we read in Hebrews 7:23, the former priests were many in number. There had to be a ready stock of those to offer these temporary sacrifices because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. These sacrifices went on and on and on. But this practice never did away with sin. It never made atonement, full and free atonement for the people. If anything, we read in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, in these sacrifices there was a reminder of sins every year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The sacrifices didn't, didn't tell people that their sins were fully and finally forgiven for all time. It reminded them, rather, of their sin that all these sacrifices could not put away their sin. 
And so all of the Old Testament sacrifices, uh, whenever they were offered, they cried out. They called for better sacrifices. In fact, they called out for a final sacrifice, a final sacrifice by a perfect lamb that could totally do away with sin. Only when a, a truly perfect sacrifice was offered in the tabernacle of heaven would sin finally be put away. And that perfect sacrifice was offered through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look with me at Hebrews 9, 24 through 26. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, not an earthly tabernacle, not an earthly temple made by men. These things we read are just copies of the true things. But Christ has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor did He come to offer Himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. No, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, put away our sin by carrying our sins to the altar of the cross and then to the grave. He put our sins to death on the cross and He buried them in His grave only to rise again to prove that the victory, His victory, our victory over sin is real. It's complete. It will never be undone. Christ, through the, the one-time sacrifice of His body, has made full atonement, propitiation for sin. That's why He came to earth, to put away our sin. And because of that, brothers and sisters, the day of His return is not a day that threatens us. It's a day that we long for and we anticipate. Look what the writer to Hebrews says at the end of chapter 9. The last verse here, 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. How marvelous to think that we can eagerly await the return of our Savior who was wounded for our sins. We can anticipate, we can look forward to rather than dread His second advent because while He will certainly come to judge unbelief for us, those whose sins have been put away by the once-for-all sacrifice of His body, we have only confidence. We have only comfort that He will come to save us to the utmost. And it's filled with gratitude for that, filled with gratitude for the grace of God shown in his life. Paul concludes our passage tonight, verse 17, with worship, doxology. He says to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever 
and ever. Paul gives glory to God as the transcendent King who is eternal, immortal, invisible, everything that we are not. And yet the wonder of it all is that this divine King that that we worship, that Paul worships, is never distant from us. He doesn't stand far off. He doesn't stand aloof, caring little about our sinful predicament. He came to this earth in the second person of the Holy Trinity, who humbled Himself by being born of a woman, wrapped not in royal garments but in swaddling clothes, who was laid not in a kingly cradle but in a crude manger, who suffered at the hands of evil men His entire time on earth, dying the cruelest possible death. Because the eternal God, immortal, invisible, God only wise, is also the God who's graciously chosen to intervene personally in His world to save sinners like you and me and all those who are far off. Indeed, this saying is, is true. It's trustworthy. It's deserving of our full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners by putting away our sin. Praise be to God for this glorious gift. Amen. Our gracious God, we like Paul marvel that you would deign come down and send your Son in humility to come for sinners. Oh, Lord, you would have been perfectly just to destroy us all in our sin as soon as Adam and Eve fell. You would have been perfectly just to do so. Yet, out of your love, out of your unfathomable mercy and grace, You made all the provisions to rescue us from our sin and to put away our sin so that your second advent, at your return, we will not be condemned. We will not be destroyed in judgment, but we will be saved and glorified to the utmost. Oh, Lord, we give thanks to you that you have chosen to call us and to save us. We pray, Lord, that as we uh, think upon this marvelous gift, as we pray for those as friends and family members around us who do not yet know this marvelous gift, Lord, that we would be comforted and, and confident that you are the God who saves and that it is no trouble to you to save the foremost of sinners for your glory. Lord, may you do that. May you work mightily in this world through the powerful preaching of the gospel to draw lost sinners into your fold. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we sing now a hymn hymn about Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is indeed a friend for sinners. Please turn with me to number 456. In the Trinity Psalter hymnal, number 456, and we'll stand together and sing all five of those stanzas, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. <laughs> 